This is a reading from 1 Peter 5, 8 through 14. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greeting one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. The book of 1 Peter today. And uh, hopefully you're not like, oh, finally. But hopefully you're like, yes, we did a whole book. That's great. And exciting, But before we begin, I want to just give you uh, um, kind of a, a reminder, uh, as um, stated uh, by one of the commentators that I was using as we went through this. He reminds us that the purpose of this letter is not to produce a rich reading experience, even if it does manage to do that. The purpose of the letter is to guide the behavior of these Christians in their relationship with one another and with their non-Christian neighbors. And so hopefully that over this time that we've been looking at 1 Peter, you have gathered and seen as Paul, uh, Peter is getting ready to wrap it up here that we are called, one, exiles and heirs, right? That there is something about us that makes us different than the world, but it is in fact causing us to move towards the world. That we're not only to ourselves, but we are Christ and we are moving towards Others. So it's about a loving relationship, a whole relationship, a truth relationship with God, with ourselves, with all others, and with place. And we see here as Peter is wrapping it up, he's giving some final exhortation, he's giving some final encouragement, and then he's saying to some folks, hey, peace, joy, love from who God is. When I was a little boy, I lived at a house that... Um, that had a field behind it. And now that field over the years had many things that were in it. Sometimes there were cows. At one point there were llamas that were in it, in, it, uh, in the back of it. And so uh, behind my backyard or back garden, we backed right up to it. And there was a, a fence that was there. We called it a barbed wire fence. Uh, is that what it's called here? Barbed wire fence? Good. Just checking. Should have checked on that beforehand. And so it was about this tall. Now when I was eight, it looked about this tall. And I felt like I had to really be careful climbing over because we would climb over and go exploring in the field. And the field actually felt very safe to us. It actually felt like just an extension of my backyard, of the place that I would play as a kid. 
And so I had two cousins that were over playing, Scott and Jason. And we were in the backyard playing, and we'd been hopping in and out over the fence and running out into the field. And all of a sudden, as we were playing and we were in our yard, we saw something moving in the field, and we weren't quite sure what it was. And it seemed like it was coming at a fairly good clip towards the fence. And as it got closer to the fence, we were still trying to figure out what it was, but we were also still playing, and we would occasionally catch, catch a glimpse of it. And all of a sudden, over the fence bounds this creature. And it jumps over our fence, and it reaches out, and it grabs my oldest cousin, Scott, and picks Scott up. And what I see very clearly is what looks like a man, but the face is covered, and it looks like a devil. It looks like there is a devil that has come and grabbed my cousin and then quickly jumps over the fence and runs back into the field. We were terrified. We were scared to death. We couldn't believe what just happened. There was my cousin playing with us and all of a sudden, devil, Satan, had jumped over the fence, grabbed a hold of him and taken him out. We were shocked. We didn't know what to do. A few minutes later, Scott walks back through the field with my dad. See, my dad had found this mask that was a rubber mask. It was red and it had little horns and it was a bulldog type devil mask. And my dad thought it would have been a great idea to scare us by jumping over the fence, grabbing my cousin and running back into the field. My dad's a pastor, by the way. <laughs> now, there was a bit of a time there that we thought to ourselves, maybe we won't play in the field anymore. But after a while, we were okay with it and thought that it was safe. Because after all, it was just a mask with my dad. Peter here says this. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Oh, sorry. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. As Peter is wrapping up this passage, he wants to make sure that the people know that there is something, there is something that wants them to fail. There is something seeking for not just failure, but destruction to devour them. And the first thing that he says is you need to be sober-minded and watchful. Now, I'll be honest, my cousins and I were not sober-minded nor watchful. We were in the throes of having a good time. We were not looking out, paying attention for some danger to come. And we were not really thinking clearly either. Because had we been thinking clearly, we would have run right inside and gotten our mothers. Which, by the way, my dad, I'm sure, had to deal with that later. What does it mean for us to be sober-minded and to be watchful? Well, sober-minded is having a truth identity. It's understanding who we are. To be sober-minded recognizes that I'm not all that in a bag of chips, that in fact, I in fact am in need of a Savior, 
Being sober-minded never allows the emperor, little emperor of our heart, to take control, but recognizes that God is great and good and mighty and loving and truthful. So sober-minded remembers who I am. And for them and for us who are in Christ, who are we? We are children of God. And so as children of God, we don't have to push and try and do things on our own. As children of God, we don't have to figure out what life is all about because God figures it out with us and for us and in us and through us. And so to be sober-minded is to have a good recognition of self. A good recognition of self that says, I can easily be tempted. Scarlett, you agreed too quickly there for me. Right? I can easily fall. C.S. Lewis puts it this way when he talks about temptation. He says it's a silly idea in current that good people do not know what temptation means. This, he says, is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would be like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. See, being sober-minded recognizes that my heart, even though I long for God's goodness, even though I recognize His love, my heart and my mind will move towards self-preservation and self-praise and self Worth and self-raising up over and over and over again. And so to be sober-minded is to know I can't do this on my own. I need God and His people, as we'll see. So what does it mean that Satan is this lion seeking whom he may devour? What does it mean? Too often today, we operate in sort of a way like this when it comes to this lion. We either, one, give it too much power, or two, give it too little amount of power. We give it too much power when we think there's demons and there's Satans and little itty-bitty things behind everything that's happening in the world. That we look at it and we go, oh, well, that must be Satan. There was a comedian that... Uh, in in uh, Flip Wilson that used to say, the devil made me do it. Right? The devil made me do it. Not me. devil made me do it. And, and that's the danger of having that thought that Satan is so powerful, that he's in charge of everything, that he's doing everything. One, we forget that, no, God is in charge, and God is doing. That Satan's just been given a little bit of realm here. Right? And when we say, well, he's the one behind all this, then we actually discount our responsibility in it. We actually are looking for a scapegoat, oh, and we're looking at the wrong one. See, when we're saying, oh, it's devil, or it's Satan, or it's evil, we're not recognizing that we're responsible for those actions. That we're going to be the bearer of those consequences that come. The flip side of that, by, by thinking that Satan's all-powerful and that he's doing all these things and forgetting that God's the one that's all-powerful, the flip side is that we give him too little. We think it's coincidence or consequence. 
And by doing that, we do the same thing. By giving him too little power is we recognize that we've given God too less of power as well. Why? Because by saying Satan has not that much power, that maybe he doesn't really even exist, then what we're saying is, I'm all right. (laughs) I can do it on my own. It's really not that bad. Temptations aren't that great. You know, I've been slimming down some recently. And part of that's because I had to give up eating. That does that for you. And in giving up eating, really what I had to give up is how often I ate. Because I would eat breakfast, and then I would eat a mid-morning snack. And then I would eat a second mid-morning snack. And then I would have lunch. And then I would have an afternoon snack. And then a second afternoon snack. And then I would have the dinner that I ate while I was making dinner. And then the dinner that I ate during dinner. And then the dinner that I ate cleaning up the food that the kids didn't eat. Because you don't want to be wasteful. And then usually around bedtime I'd have another meal. Or snack. Snack. It's just a snack. One of the things that I've learned is that I don't need to eat that much. But you know what? I liked eating that much. I enjoyed it. It was fun. It gave me great pleasure. So, when I walk into town and walk past all those shops with all those good things, I still have to think to myself, well, I ate breakfast already. And lunch is coming up in two hours. I don't need that. I might want it. It might look good to me. But I don't need it. And then I'll think, I'll just go in and smell it. And I'll walk in and I'll look around. And they'll be very nice and say, can we help you? No, 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 just smelling. (laughs) And I'll take a whiff. See people ordering, and I'll think, boy, that smells good. Boy, that looks good. I, I had a really small breakfast, and I'll have a really small lunch. And then I'll maybe see somebody walking by that I know, and I'll wave to them, and they'll come in and say, you want a cup of with me? And I'll think, well, if I'm going to have a cup of coffee, then I have to have a And I've set myself up. Right? I have to take responsibility, but Satan also is working in those places in my life, always reminding me that, hey, you're the one who's in control. It started at the very beginning because he looked at Adam and he looked at Eve and he said, God didn't really say that. God just doesn't want you to be like him. And we think to ourselves, oh, I I, kind of think I do want to be like him. And we hear the the roar of the prowling lion seeking whom he may devour. So temptation comes and we need to take it seriously. We don't need to put all the weight on Satan, but we need to know that we are in a battle. That he is looking for our destruction. Why? Why? 
Because ultimately, as is the case with everyone, he wants justification for his actions. See, when we move into a sinful life pattern, we look for those who will agree with us. And what is Satan's ultimate fall? That he wanted to be God. So he longs for our destruction. Why? So that he's not destroyed. See, God, you were wrong. I'm right. Everybody wants to be God. That's what he did with Jesus. Took him up and said, look, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all of these kingdoms. Why? Be like me. Because then I'm okay. We have to watch ourselves in that way. That if there's things in our lives that we see causing separation from, from those who are righteous, if we see those things in our life that we want to keep hidden from everybody else, I mean, they're just personal things. They're small things. They're, they're things that, uh, that really don't hurt anybody else. They're just the way that I think about certain things. When we begin to pull away, we need to be careful because what that means is soon enough, we'll start justifying it and trying to find people that agree with it and bringing us in. And then all of a sudden, the community of grace and love and peace is no longer the community that we're in. We're in a community of sycophants that want to say to us, yes, you're right, you're right, you're right. And we're not. Satan is a lion seeking to devour us because he wants to be justified. So he says, again, be sober-minded and be watchful. He says, resist him. And then he gives us the key. Firm in your faith. What is it that helps us to resist? It is being sober-minded, knowing that I am God's and that he is for me and he is protecting me. And it is my faith, knowing that Jesus has done all the work that I need to do to be made right. Jesus has done all the work that I need to do to be in right and true and whole relationship with him. And so we move into that. But then he even goes further and says and reminds us of this knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by who? Your brotherhood throughout all of the world. Now there, Peter is referring not only to the trials and tribulations that he's been talking about, those things that come to us as walking in righteousness, but he's also talking about temptations here that we're fighting and the fact that the devil wants to destroy us. He's talking about both things here. It's a both and. And what he's saying is, look, you're not alone. And I think that's key for us to remember. Because too often the lie that we believe most is that we're alone. That we're alone in our temptations, that we're alone in our heartache, that we're alone in our suffering, that we're alone and nobody understands us. Nobody gets what I'm going through. Nobody's ever experienced this before. And what Peter clearly says here is all throughout the world, every day, always happening, is that there are those who are your brothers and sisters who are experiencing the same thing. You are never alone. That's the reason why it's important for us to gather on Sundays, to give worship, to know, I see your faces, you see mine. We're not alone. That's the reason why it's important for us to gather in smaller groups throughout the week, doing Bible studies and having dinner together and serving this city for its prosperity. Why? So that it can be a great free mantle? Not just that, but so that God will receive glory. And we see one another face to face and we can go, I'm not alone. So we resist and we stand firm and we know that it is happening. And then he gives us the promise that after suffering for a little while, 
the God of all grace who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, what? Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. All of those words are powerful foundation words. They're words of architecture. They're words of building. What Peter is saying here to us is that it's God doing the work. He is the master architect. He is the master engineer. He is the master builder. And he is the one who will live in that house with you. That he makes you and builds in you. He restores you. He confirms. He strengthens. And he establishes. Listen. I think what's great about this is the first word there is to restore. So what he's saying is there's things that are broken about you that need to be restored. There are things in your life that I created before the foundation of the world that somehow because the world has gotten hanky, because sin has come in and the devil has devoured and moved in, it's off kilter and we need to restore it. We need to make it stronger. We need to sure up the foundation. So look, there are things in your life that you look at that you go, it's broken and it's hard and and I wish it wasn't there anymore. And what Peter's saying is, no, the Father's going to restore it. He'll make it right. He'll make it what it was intended to be. So first he restores. The second thing that it tells us that he does is he confirms. There are things that if you walk through a house or you walk through a place that you're trying to rehab or redo that needs to be restored, there are things even in this building as we walk around, we can look at and go, that needs to be restored. And there are things that we can walk in and go, that is solid. That will remain. There's not something that can break that down. What Peter's saying here is the father looks at us and he says, I will confirm the truth that is there that I have placed, those things that have not been broken, those things that don't need to be restored. I confirm that they are solid, that they are truth, that they are right, that they are in fact giving glory and honor to me. So he restores, he confirms, he strengthens. There are some things that don't necessarily need to be torn down and restored. There are those things that just need to be strengthened. More often than not, those are the kind of things that we've had an inkling of, that maybe drew us to the Father to begin with, that we sort of said, I believe in this thing called love, but I don't quite know how it works. And the Father says, let me strengthen that understanding. Let me show you and teach you what love means. We do that through the word. We do that through study. We do that with one another, sharpening each other in the faith. And then lastly, he establishes. And where are we established? Most firmly in the power of God. That's the reason why he says to him, be the dominion, the power, the glory forever and ever. We are established that it cannot be shaken, that we are in fact that house that is built on the solid rock. That though trials come, and though winds come, and though waves come, it will not be shaken. Why? Because it is established. Established for us in the Father. St. Patrick would pray this way. I rise today through God's strength to pilot me. God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's hand to guard me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to protect me.
and God's host to save me from the snares of the devil, from temptations of vices, and from everyone who will wish me ill, afar and near, alone are in multitudes. See, St. Patrick knew that what Peter was saying here is true, that being established in the power of God leads us to praise. And it moves us into the protection and the pursuit of God within community. That's the reason why Peter then says, hey, Silas says this. The church in Babylon says this. He's reminding them that, yes, in fact, all around the world people are suffering. All around the world people are established in Jesus. And all around the world these men, these women are with me, serving you, caring for you, loving for you. And then he says, kiss one another in love. There are some here that wouldn't want that to happen. That's okay. The point is this. We are to love one another. And we're to be so close to one another that we can kiss. That God moves us to that place that nothing should cause division. Why? Because we are established in the power of God. Satan is a lion. But he's toothless. And here's why we know that to be true. In Revelation chapter 5, we hear these things. Then I saw the right hand of him who had seated on the throne, and a scroll was written within it and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the seals? And I saw a mighty angel proclaim with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scrolls or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Satan is a lion who is toothless. But Jesus is a lion who comes to save. He is powerful and promised. To those of us who know it, we should rejoice. To those of us who are in fear because we see that toothless lion seeking whom he may devour, we need to hear that God has come with the most powerful lion ever. And that lion sacrificed himself for us to bring us home, to bring us into whole relationship. And so hopefully, one Peter has been a good reading experience for you but it has been a challenge for you to stand in the power and dominion that is Jesus Christ. Hear his words to you today, O church. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this book. Thank you that we were able to walk in it. Thank you that you have guided us in it. Let us know and believe that we, in fact, are in power because you are that power, that we are established, that we are confirmed because you have done that work, that we are restored because of that. Father, let us know that there is no temptation that has come unto man that you have not overcome, and that if we look to you and we hold on to our brothers and sisters, we too can overcome. 
Thank you for overcoming it all and putting to death sin in our lives at Jesus Christ on the cross and letting us walk in righteousness. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.